Their reading is going to be from 1 Timothy, chapter 3, the entire chapter. So please either listen or follow along as we consider 1 Timothy, chapter 3. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. <coughs> For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And please pray with me. Father God, we are grateful to be gathered together as brothers and sisters again in um, fellowship and in worship. Uh, this passage has uh, a lot of conviction for us as leaders. Um, Father, there, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us as the enemy of our soul seeks to uh, cause us to doubt, to wander, to cause reproach upon the faith. Lord, may our lives continue to be in line with what we claim we believe. Father, we remember this morning the folks, the brothers and sisters that are gathered together at Littlefield Church for Pastor Mark. Father, that you would continue to build them up in the faith, that their testimony in the community of Brooklyn and surrounding areas would continue to grow and remain solid, Father. Lord, as we continue to worship you, um, I pray that you would just lead us as we study your word. Uh, and may it change us today. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Uh, 
Rich, do you want to set the, the whiteboard here? I'm going to go old school with the whiteboard here, and I asked Connie to write down some things because her handwriting is legible, and she's used to writing things on the whiteboard <laughs> here. But I got a question. What kinds of people are we attracted to to follow? Maybe that's a question you're thinking about for yourself, but think about in general. Humanity, people. What kinds of people are we attracted to to follow? Or another way to ask is, what kinds of people do we listen to? Do we listen to? And I really want some answers, so give me some feedback on that. What kinds of people are we attracted to follow? Human beings, what are we attracted to follow? Like what, what, what makes us want to listen to those people or, 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 or follow them or, or be influenced by them? What would you say? Just call out some things. Charismatic. Okay, charismatic. What do you mean by that? Um, generally popular, uh, saying things you want to hear or in a way that sounds... Okay. Like it's dynamic? Yeah, yeah dynamic. Okay. Uh, I can only think of examples. Like, the reason people listen to actors isn't because they have points. Uh-huh. It's because they look good while doing it. Okay, okay. So dynamic uh, people, charismatic, kind of uh, uh, come across that way. What else? What would you say? What's that? Competent. Okay. Confident. Thank you. Confident. Someone who's confident. Yeah, confident is uh, is good too, right? Like like Hitler told a bunch of lies, but he's very confident about it, right? People are impressed by that. What else? Eloquent. Okay, a very good speaker. Good with words. That's what you said, right? Now I'm wondering. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. Connie is a phonetic speller. She has her PhD in linguistics. But that has nothing to do with spelling. She will be the first to say English spelling. So feel free to correct. C O N P T. What? It's all right. We know, we know what the word is. Mervyn. Follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, that would be a really small subset of people, that, but that is something that should attract that the right people, that should attract them. Uh, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. What else? Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me yeah. what I want to hear, right? Paul says that will happen. Itching ears, right? Itching ears. Probably going too fast. Jay? People that are positive. Oh. Yeah, positive message. Positive message. And... and uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you have a big church in Texas or something. Doom and gloom speakers do attract a lot of people, don't they? Yeah, good insight. So not just positive, but somebody who's like, you know, into the world. Paul. Honesty? Yeah, someone who's honest and frank can, can really come across. Do you want to help them with the sound? Peter? Someone who's dependable? So, a lot of people listen to people who are controversial. Controversial? I have a strong opinion. Have a way to that. Yeah. stir things up. Yeah, stir the pot. That you want to argue about things. Yeah. Yeah. Or an accent. Or an accent. Yeah. If they have a British accent, we're more likely to, you know. Yeah. Lynn? Popular. Sometimes you just swallow people because other people are popular. Yeah, yeah. Like someone who's popular, like, oh wow, they must have something to say because everybody likes it. There's something that there's a, there's a following, a following you have there. Funny. 
Yeah, humor, humor can go a long way, right? So let me read, let me read these um, character qualities here in First Timothy three. Blameless, husband of one wife, faithful in marriage, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, skilled in teaching, not given to wine, uh, not a fighter, not greedy of money, patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that has his family in order, will his own house well, um, not new on the scene. Uh, prideful, not prideful. Um, a good report of those that are outside. How many of those things do you see there? A couple, maybe some crossover there. Great. You guys who gave, who gave the spiritual answers to <laughs> um, But not like the kinds of people people listen to and are influenced by. Isn't what you just really heard in First Timothy 3, is it? There's a big disconnect there. And that is the reason why Paul's write these things. So we're back in First Timothy. It's been a few weeks because we were in Matthew for Christmas here. Um, but uh, we, we looked in chapter 1 and the issue that was going on in Ephesus was that there were teachers, there were leaders that were coming up that were gaining followings. Maybe because of some of these very same things. But the problem was, they were going off on their little tangents, going off on opinions. They even were mixing in Bible teaching with it, right? But not for the right purposes. Uh, they, in verse, look at verse 1, Paul tells the Ephesians, who Timothy's leading here, don't give attention to fables and endless genealogies, which just build up questions. Rather than godly edifying, godly building up, which is in faith. Okay, so that, that was going on with some of the leaders. And then verse 5, the goal of the commandment, the instruction is love out of the pure heart, the good conscience, and the faith and faith. So from which some have had him swerved and turned aside the vain genuine. They're trying to build followings. Designed to be teachers of the law. They understand neither what they say nor where they affirm, nor, nor, nor why, they're, um, uh, uh, why they're so confident about what they don't understand. And that's what he talks about what's going on. We're all leaders. Now in Acts chapter 20, um, about five years before, Paul had instituted elders, leaders of this church here. And he had said, this is what it's going to look like. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to give yourself to work. And... Some have already swerved aside and had built followings, and it was hurting the church. So the culture and the world system was influencing who became church leaders in that church, who influenced them. And first thing with three is how that corrects that, is how it is corrected. In first Timothy three, Paul is telling you this is what leaders should be. And you know what? The world doesn't have a big list like this that they would be uh, uh, proponents of. You see, here's what Paul's telling us. The way we let the world system shape how we choose servant leaders in the church shortens the life existence of the church and it robs the Son of God of his glory. Some of the things that you were mentioning even here this morning, charismatic personalities, but yet, a hypocritical life. 
first witness, right? Very gifted people without character development. That's what was going on in Corinth. That's why in the middle of the gifts, and I exercised the gifts, the gifts in 12, verse 15, 12, and I exercised in verse 14, Paul has chapter 13, right? The law of instruction is love. Or shiny things about people that are not accompanied by humility. The result is, you have people who are led astray or spiritually mature, going off on these, majoring on the minors here. And the cause is too great. The glory of the Son of God building His family is too beautiful to fall into the world system of values for those who oversee the church. The transformation of the gospel and of the beauty of Christ for the world to see has to be high and lifted up. And cheap imitations will only be exposed for the carnivores that they really are. Through 1 Timothy 3. This is the battle of Antietam in 1862 in the Civil War. It lasted for 12 hours and ranks as the bloodiest day of the Civil War. With 10,000 Confederate casualties and even more on the Union side. One historian wrote, At last the sun went down and the battle ended. Smoke heavy in the air, the twilight quivering, with the anguished cries of thousands of wounded men. And though in the record books, militarily it was a draw, the subpar, mediocre at best, Union General George McClellan was able to end the brilliant Robert E. Lee's thrust into Maryland and forced him to retire across the Potomac River because two Union soldiers had found a copy of General Lee's battle plans and then delivered them to McClellan before the engagement. Wow. And it shows us something here. Here's the battle plans for the enemy right here. That's what he wants people to be geared toward and to look for. That's exposed. That's already been exposed in chapter 1, how to evaluate our teaching and our teachers. And in some respects, we're no match for our adversary, are we? Satan has, has tricks that we're to be very wary of. But like George McClellan, our enemy's plans have fallen into our hands. We know his strategies to entice us with these kinds of lies. Now, not all these things are bad, are they? But what is the thing that's supposed to be emphasized in 1 Timothy 3? And so with this knowledge by God's Word and God's Spirit, we can resist advances here, even with spiritual leaders here. But you might ask us, well, how has God given us guidance, a blueprint, a pattern after His church to be faithful and continue in that faithfulness? And what I want you to see this morning is that God builds shepherding leaders. God builds shepherding leaders. Satan has all kinds of counterfeits. That was what was going on in, in chapter 1. That's what you'll see later on in chapter 6 here. God has the one, God is the one who builds counterfeit, uh, shepherding elders in, in contrast to Satan's counterfeits. Look at verse 1. This is a true saying. Literally, this is a trustworthy saying. And when Paul says that, he says it frequently. It means this is something that you've heard in your churches and count on it. It's something to, it's something to build on. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now that's the saying. That's the trustworthy saying that Paul's uh, uh, writing here that should be emphasized. If a man desires the office of a bishop, the word bishop is episcopos, it just simply means overseer. 
Man desires the office of an overseer, a church overseer. He desires a good work. And what I want you to see here for this first point here, I'm going to advance the, the slide there, here, is that God builds shepherding elders. God builds this. Okay? This is part of his plan for the growth of the vine. If, if God wants the church to live out the truth he formed it from, then it makes sense that he builds leaders who exemplify that for the church to follow as examples. Let me say that again. Is there not something that God wants every single one of us, is there not this, this, this ideal here of being like Christ that God wants each one of us to exemplify? If he wants us to live out the truth of the gospel, because the, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, this is who you are apart from Christ. You are lost, you are dead in your sins, you are on your way to an eternity without God. In hell. And Jesus saves us and he changes us and he puts his very life inside of us through the Spirit of God. He lives inside of us. He changes us. He transforms us. And he brings us into a family. Right? People. A people. And if God wants the church then to live out that truth, because he didn't just save us from, he saved us to himself for a purpose, then doesn't it make sense that those who are going to leave the church exemplify this so that the rest of the church follows this as examples. That's what Paul is trying to get across. That's why this is so key. And the way that the way uh, the New Testament explains this is, is that in Acts 14, 21 through 23, after the church congregations were formed, then Paul institutes elders, overseers, shepherds, pastors, leaders. It's the same idea, the same word there, uh, in, in the church to lead the church. Um, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, he tells Titus on the island of Crete, <clears throat> Here, for this cause I left you in Crete, you should set in order the things that are lacking and ordain elders in every city as I appointed you. Overseers. In Acts 20, he had already done this in Ephesus, where Timothy is stationed. Here in this very letter. So God builds shepherding leaders. And you'll notice that it says in verse 1, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. God begins to put a desire for this, for this kind of a work. Someone has well said, if you can do anything else besides pastor, shepherd, elder, right, then do it. It's a little strange to have a desire for this when you understand what goes into it. You know what I'm saying? And as a, as a kid who grew up in a pastor's home, being a pastor, because my dad planted a church, so I saw it from beginning to when he resigned and then planted another church uh, here in another part of the country. It's nothing I wanted to do. I had no desire to do that whatsoever. But a desire began to form in me after college, Bible college here, uh, for this very thing. And God led my path, and, you know, here, here we are right now. A desire. God builds shepherding leaders. And God uses shepherding leaders to teach them through word and deed, life transformation. Word and deed, life transformation. By the teaching, the words, and then by, you notice these character qualities, things? These are, this, this is living it out. Living it out. You say, okay, yeah, God builds shepherding colors. What if someone says, hey, I think God's calling me to, to do this here. And uh, does that mean, okay, God's building, God's calling them, so... Then the Bible to get the degree, now they're qualified. No. 
Because wouldn't the problem arise if it was just this desire and, and someone saying God called into this and that was an automatic ticket? Like, this is why you see the next verse and verse 2 say, an overseer then or therefore if this is true, they have this desire, then now here's the qualifications for it. This is why the character is the therefore, it's the then in the instruction and goes to the character. So the second thing I want you to see this morning is this, that God builds shepherd leaders formed over time. Formed over time. All these things that are listed in 1 Timothy 3 are over time, aren't they? In fact, one of the things that he emphasizes is not a novice, not a neophyte, is the word, actually. actually. Not, not someone who's just fresh, because there needs to be the development of character over time. God builds shepherd leaders formed over time. What does Satan like to do? You remember the parable of the seed that's sown, and, and some of it takes sprouts up, right? And some of it sprouts up really quickly, doesn't it? And then Jesus says the sun comes out and it doesn't have deep roots and it shrivels away. Or it's sown among thorns and the cares of this world. Living for things that don't last start to distract it away from its purpose. What's the point of that? Is that what we have here in the rest of 1 Timothy 3 shows us what truly matters to God. What really matters to God. And what really matters to God is consistent overall Christian character. Not perfect Christian character, because there's not a human being like that, besides our Savior, but consistent Christ-like character that comes out of Christ changing us here. And again, if God wants to live, wants the church to live out the truth that he formed it from, then it makes sense that he's going to build leaders to exemplify that for the church to follow as examples. So that idea of the office of a bishop uh, it's, it's the same idea of pastor, elder, synonymous, overseers of the church here. And look at the qualifications. Did you notice that not really any of them are extraordinary things? I mean. They're very ordinary things when you think about it. In fact, every one of those these things, except the skill and teaching here, is something that's supposed to be true of all believers anyway, isn't it? And we'll push into this next week when we look at the second part here of those who assist the elders, <coughs> uh, the deacons. But you see that there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a plan here. That there is to be a team of elders, a team of overseers in this church in Ephesus, like Paul instituted all the way to next point. These men had to be qualified. They had to be a growing believer. There had to be, there had to be something here. And he lists 16 different things. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. There's so many work through it. As, as we do, you might want to occasionally peek up here again and ask yourself, well, what about that, right? Blameless means the idea that nothing can take hold of in verse 2a. Nothing that, 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 that uh, can, can destroy uh, the, the ministry that he's, that he's associated with. Not, not sinless, but above reproach is the idea. Above reproach. Husband of one wife. It's the idea of faithfulness in marriage. It literally means a one-woman man. And there's some different variations of interpretation on that. But I will say that Paul doesn't say, Paul doesn't say that he must not be divorced. He could have said that. There's a word for that. But he says a one-woman man. And he means a faithful man. 
And the point of that is, is this. Is the exemplary in his marriage? And by the way, just a side note, there are, obviously the world and even believers take this in an improper way, but there are biblical grounds for divorce. Joseph was supposed to put Mary away according to the law. He's supposed to divorce her. And he's called a just man for doing so. Of course, the angel interviewed and said, intervened and said, no, this is the truth right here. But I say that to, to help us get the point here of the husband of one wife. The point of it here. It's faithful in their marriage. Faithful in their marriage. Now, if somebody uh, uh, is, is divorced because of their unfaithfulness there to that, to that spouse, then that person shouldn't be considered here. And there's more I can say about that. But Paul here is saying, uh, 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 be the one who has a good home life. You'll see that in verses 4 and 5, his ability to manage his own marriage and his ability to oversee his family here carries over into his local church. It carries over. Look in the rest of verse 2. Vigilant. It's the idea of being temperate or sober. Vigilant doesn't mean the same thing today as, as those... Um, Meant with the just translation of 1600s here. It means temperate or sober, temperate in all things, keeping your head. Sensible judgment. Okay, and then you know there's the next word, which is sober in 2D, verse 2, the end of, the end of verse two, uh, 2 there. That's the idea of a serious attitude and earnest about his work. Doesn't mean he doesn't have a sense of humor. Being funny is one of the things mentioned here. You can have a sense of humor, that's okay. Right? But it needs to be grounded, knowing the value of things, not cheapening the ministry of the gospel and its message by foolish behavior. Look at the end of verse 2, of good behavior. See the idea of being uh, uh, um, uh, a consistent pattern here. Given to hospitality, literally, loving the stranger, loving the stranger, opening your home to people, hospitable. Why? Because these are all things that need to be exhibited in the rest of the church. Able to teach. Able to teach. Apt to teach. It means skillful in teaching. Why is this so important? And by the way, this is a thing that's the skill. That is a skill. The rest of them are character qualities, right? This is the one skill in there. Um, Acts 2.42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, right? Acts 6.4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, later on in this very letter, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you carefully follow. 1 Timothy 4, 13, till I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to doctrine, to teaching. 1 Timothy 4, 16, take heed, pay attention to yourself and the teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will both save yourself and those that hear you. Verse 75, 17. Let the elders, this is the same idea, the overseers in the church, the people of overseers who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and teaching, the doctrine. Verse 76, 2 through 4. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine that is in agreement, accord with God, is he's proud, knowing nothing. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent 
Present yourself approved to God, work who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, holding the line of scripture, and being able to explain it. 2 Timothy 4, 2, uh, 2 and 3. Preach the word. Preach the word. It's the one skill. And in verse 3a, not given to wine. It's literally the idea of not sitting long at the cup. Not controlled by outward factors like alcohol. No striker in verse 3. I mean, he's not looking for a fight. You know some church leaders who go around looking for fights? Looking for things to stir up? Controversial is one of the things that came up, right? You can gain followings for being very controversial for the wrong reasons, right? Spurgeon told his, uh, his pastor's college students, don't go about the world with your fists doubled up for fighting, carrying a theological revolver in the way of your trousers. <laughs> not greedy, a filthy looker. That's the idea of obviously not letting money dictate your character and the things you do. Patient. In verse 3, is the idea is actually gentle. Gentle. Be able to take criticism without reacting. Um, not a brawler. Not looking for a fight. This is someone who's just disagreeable. Just disagreeable. You know, he's got a reason why. <laughs> right? I mean, it doesn't mean they, they compromise the truth, but short tempers don't make for long ministries or impact of the gospel. Not covetous. You know, you can covet lots of other things besides money, can't you? You can covet other ministries. Cover, cover fame. And then you see what he says here as a key quality. In verse 4, one that rules his own house, rules well his own house, having his children in subjection, or managing his children with all gravity and seriousness. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? This doesn't mean a perfect home, but it means that your home is your resume, really. Why? Those are the people who know you best and see if you really are, right? And verse 6, not a novice, one newly planted. Why? Not because those folks aren't any good. It's because let's let them continue to grow. Right? Get there. Everybody's a novice at one point in their life, right? And then verse 7, a good testimony outside the church. Those who are unbelievers. There's a good reputation among unsaved people. God's committed to this. And so our second point here shows us very clearly that God builds shepherd leaders formed over time. None of this happens instantly, does it? God does this over time. And so if someone says, I have a desire to do this, then there should be an affirmation by the congregation of these particular qualities. But you say, well, how, how is it that character over time is validated and affirmed uh, uh, affirm so that we put it in the proper priority and don't fall in the world traps of so-called leaders? Like, how do, how do we know this stuff? Yeah, okay, this, this should be true, but how do we know this stuff? And the answer is this, that thirdly, God reveals character in community. God reveals character in community. You know what Satan does? Satan says your home life or your public life or whatever here, there's a they can be a disconnect. Right? 
Remember a few presidents ago, you know, there was this uh, controversy about an intern and, and uh, there, you know, what he was doing here in his private life had no bearing on his, on his public life to try to make the point. Satan likes that. He likes that. But the Bible doesn't. God doesn't. God's not a God of, oh, I'll be the God when you're together with your church family, but uh, you can serve a different God in your home. Namely, you. God reveals character and community. Do you see the different attachments of people? These are all things that are observable in people's lives the longer you're around them. And it spans from your most intimate setting to those who don't know the Lord. Home life, church life, local community. They say that the, the first footprints on the moon talking with, who was that you, Carolyn, or someone I was speaking to recently, we were talking about, oh, Doris, um, Laura Ingalls Wilder, you know, Little House on the Prairie, she goes from like, covered wagon pioneer life to by the time she died, we had a man on the moon. That's a big span, right? First footprints on the moon will be there a long, long time. You know why? There's no atmosphere on the moon. No air moving. The first footprints there will probably be there unless some other, you know, meteor hits the moon and makes another crater next to it and covers it up. As long as the moon itself lasts, however long that is, if God decides. Because there's no erosion by wind or water on the moon. Nothing gets washed away. The moon has no atmosphere. It's, it's exposed to, some, to what's called solar wind, which is a stream of charged particles that come across it's, uh, come, come from the sun. And over time, this can kind of act like some weather on the, on the moon. But it's very, very slow. And the footprints left by astronauts on the moon could last, if the moon continued this long, and God tarried, 10 to 100 million years. That's how long footprints can last. You know, each of us leaves behind footprints, don't we? Where we go, what we accomplish. Influence that we have on others. A legacy we leave behind us. And by your great-grandkids' age, you'll probably be forgotten. Honestly. If you're normal. And so it's important here to be careful with the lasting footprints we leave. And here's the footprints that Paul says need to be left. Need to impact the church body so the church body can walk in those steps as well. So what would happen? In varying degrees or varying even rates or speeds if we don't follow these kinds of character formation for God's church and ultimately his leaders. What will be left will be a shell of God's glory that's splattered with the triumph and glee of dark forces. When we acquiesce with the culture and the world systems and make that our guide for overseeing the church instead of the apostles' doctrine. The way that we may let the world system shape how we choose servant leaders in the church. Charismatic, dynamic, confident, confident, eloquent, 
following Christ. Well, that's our, that's our good one right there. Um, 18 years, right? It says what we want to hear. Positive. Someone brings a doom and gloom message all the time. Honest, dependable, controversial, popular, funny. You, you filter those through, right? But, but the things that, the, 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 the thing that the world looks at and what the church looks at should be vastly different, shouldn't they? And if we let the world system shape how we choose servant leaders in the church, that shortens the life existence of the church and it robs the Son of God of His glory. Shiny things, but no wisdom. Abilities and gifts, but no humility. The same person they were ten years ago, meaning over time they still have not repented and changed. I hope you're not the same person that you were ten years ago. In some ways, that's a good thing, right? That you were consistent in your character. In other ways, though, believers should be continually changing. We're not static. We have a living Savior, a living hope. There should be incremental changes over time. Sometimes there's big changes for God. Uh, God does a, a huge work in your life. But most of the time it's like this, right? And so I think this passage tells us that we are to grow in Christ-like transformation and be under those who exemplify it. Let's pray.